Lauren, for your love. And I thank you, Lord. Just, I'm happy. I'm happy that our, my brothers and sisters here are in really feel good today. They're not discouraged. I thank you for that, Lord. Continue to bless them and keep them, keep them healthy and keep them in good, uh, good spirits, I pray, Lord. And we, I thank, I pray that this message, Lord, just will minister to us in some way that our hearts be open to receive all you'd have for us, Lord. I pray that you might use me for your glory uh, through the anointing of your spirit to preach this message to bring you glory and honor. We give you praise and glory, and I rejoice, Father. I thank you for the Melendez family. They're here, and thank you that they survived the COVID, Lord, and they're doing well. So that, what, what a blessing, and we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How many people are lonely? Okay. Because that's going to be the topic next week is loneliness. Okay, that's not going to work. Okay, how many people feel guilty? All right, we got two. Then that means three. So be here in about three weeks or whatever it is. How many people are are resisting or fighting temptation? Look at that. We got more hands going up. See, what's going to happen, we're going to build momentum. So we're going to, that's right. So, so we're going to start right at the rock bottom, and we're going to build up. So this is going to be a real test to see, see how things go. All right? Okay, here we go. For me, these past uh, three weeks have challenged my discouragement threshold. I'm in the process of back-to-back root canals. And my first one, I thought, I'm home free, that's it. I won't have to have one for a while. And then it couldn't, it couldn't have been more than two days later, I had a problem with one of my, my what do you got? I know in the T now by number. It's in my 30th tooth. If you know the 30th tooth, this one right down here, over here, they, they say, you need a, need a root canal. I'm thinking to myself, really? You know, maybe they just want, want, want the money. You know, these things cost a lot of dollars, don't they? You do that. Now, oh boy, here we go again. You know, I didn't want to tell Jan on the second one because I thought she'd just probably take care of that and knock my tooth out or something like that. But all of us, my point is, all of us, maybe not today, but all of us have had our moments of discouragement, haven't we? Those moments, and they they come to us sometimes in a variety of ways and situations. 2 Corinthians 4, 1, Paul said, Therefore, since through God's mercy... We have this ministry. Paul is talking about ministry situations at this point. But then he said, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And that is so, that is so easy if you're a pastor. I, in a sense, I wish I had a, 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 a seat full of pastors here today because I know what they go through. When they come to a Sunday, whatever... If they see, even if people are gone, we know they're gone for whatever reason, when they hear the echo as they're talking, they get discouraged because they want their people to be there. So that's always, I think for pastors, that's always a form of discouragement. Though they say, they say, no problem, God's got, we trust God, I'm going to say, come on. Don't we all wish that we'd have all these seats filled? We all do. At least I do. And so, and so, in a way, that's kind of a discouragement that I don't, I don't want to go away from my heart. 
because I know God's in charge, but I want him to put in my heart that desire to have had every seat filled for his glory. You know, so sometimes I want to feel a little bit discouragement because that gets me going and keeps me driving for what he wants. So, anyway, we're done. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, Ron, that is discouraging. <laughs> that just is. That just broke my heart. That one did. See, no, no, Paul was speaking, I'm just kidding. Paul was speaking to those who were becoming discouraged in ministry. Nehemiah, one of the great encouragers, I believe, one of the great planners in the Bible, knew that he was called, that he is called to minister and use his organizational motivational skills to help the Jews build the Jerusalem's wall in a very chaotic situation. Nehemiah 4, 7, and 8. But when Sinbalad, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Amorites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. The work of the wall was moving quite nicely. And this angered their enemies. So they planned to what? To invade and kill the Jews. Whenever, as people of God, the faithful, whenever God calls us to do work or gives us his vision of what he wants us to do, what usually follows? Trouble. Opposition will always follow. He does it every time. God has laid on my, my heart very clearly about this church. But then today we look, and I'm here myself, I'm bouncing all over the ceilings here. Satan said, no, you doubt. You doubt, pastor, you doubt. You're not hearing from God. You're not hearing, so you doubt. This church will always be a failure. That's what I hear in my head, and I rebuke. Probably almost constantly I am because he wants to plant that seed of doubt and discouragement. That's what he wants. That's his main, main goal, I believe. So, this morning, I'm going to talk about ways that we can deal with discouragement. You're not going to be discouraged today. Then maybe when you feel when that discouragement comes... I'm going to give you some ways that you can deal with it according to how Nehemiah dealt with his situation. And believe me, he was dealing with a bunch of whiners. He really was. He was dealing with a bunch of whiners and how God used him. You imagine being back in those days. This is just a side note. I'm just, I just thought of this. Here this guy is. God called him for this ministry. It's hard enough to just try to see this wall in ruins, Right? Think what a project this is, and yet then he's got to deal with the whiners and, and the grumblers. And, and how, so sometimes when we think we we're having a bad day, what about that guy? You know, he was going through all sorts of, of issues there, but yet, you know, he is so faithful to God. So I want, my first thought I want to share with you is identify your discouragement. You're not discouraged today, Ron, but when you are discouraged, identify it, Okay. 
Let's look at Nehemiah 4.10. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Fatigue and discouragement often go together. The Jerusalem wall builders became discouraged. From what? From fatigue. They were tired. They became discouraged because they had to clean up all the rubble. And not, not to mention the fact their enemies were lurking. Fatigue. Someone once said, I think it was Vince Lombardi. You know Vince Lombardi, ex-coach of the Green Bay Packers, I guess? Jimmy knows, his hand went right up. He once said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And he is so right when you stop and think about it. It does. Now, how many times have we heard, I've heard this a bunch of times through the years, about burnout. We use the word burnout, burnout, burnout. Oh, so-and-so is working all these hours. I'm afraid that person get burned out. How can they not? They're putting in all this time. And we hear this with ministry a lot. You know, I've heard in conferences or whatever, well, we got 25% of the pastors going to burn out within the first three years of the ministry or whatever. Now, I don't know if that's exactly true, but you're getting my idea. So we talk about burnout, burnout, and we equate that with working all these hours you know, day in and day out. Well, let me tell you something. That if you, I know a lot of pastors, well, I used to know a lot of pastors. As we get older, they just kind of come and they just kind of go. But they work 70, 50, 55 to 70 hours every week. And you wonder, how can that be? To be a pastor is a 24-hour job. It's not just being here. It's being home. It's talking about ministry. It's talking about problems. It never leaves you. It's always there. And so I've seen pastors, and I've, I have counseled young pastors about finding their time, their balance. Remember we talked about you know, get your rest time or whatever? But that doesn't cause burnout. In my opinion, this is my my, you might disagree with me, but I believe that real burnout happens because people, are you with me? People are working long, hard hours and spinning their wheels in the wrong job or the wrong ministry. That's when it hits. That's when it hits. And I've seen this time and time again in ministry. And, you know, we live in an era, we still do, probably, of churches, you have to have your purpose statement and your vision statement, right? Right? Okay. Now we see if you're still awake, we still have you. Okay. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with putting your ideas and your purpose in front of you. And so the, the key was, this all came out of Rick Warren's Purpose-Driven Church. And his Purpose-Driven Church, that book influenced, it seemed like, every denomination, whether you are liberal or whether you are conservative, on how to, you know, how the church should be run. That was when I was in San Jose. They were, I want to call it not purpose-driven, 
they're basically um, the pastor-driven, Rick Warren pastor-driven. And when I was doing one of my many jobs, Becca, through the years, I was an administrative pastor. And so the lead pastor, he wanted to, wanted to say, we need to have the vision. I'm just kind of paraphrasing, but basically, we need to put the vision together for the church. The vision, the purpose for the church. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a retreat in Green, in Green Lake, Wisconsin, with all the leaders. Jan's with me so far. She knows I'm right. And Jan is with us. And all the leaders, we're going to brainstorm about putting together our vision statement so we can launch the church, whatever, through the vision. And we spent, I don't know, day and a half, two days talking and then putting, trying to put a vision statement together using the right words. Got to use the right words. And it can't be over two sentences. I felt like I was back in Doc Ryder's class years ago at Judson putting together my, you know, a term paper or whatever the case. You've got to use the right words. This, it has, and it, it's got to be very simple, yet complex, yet very simple, yet get your point, your vision, what you, want God, you think God wants for your church. So we did all that. We had a beautiful, beautiful, you know, two-sentence vision statement. Wasn't it, Jan? Oh, it was great. It bombed. It did. You know why? We didn't pray about it. You know? We did. Well, no, that's uh, so self-righteous, doesn't it? Forget what I just said. Forget that part of it. But there wasn't prayer that went into that statement. You know? So it became our will rather than God's will. When that happens, that's when churches fail. Really, it does. God does not want, want one church to fail. Why is it? It could be for some basic, maybe people, congregation getting older, whatever. But God always wants his, his church to regenerate. That's his way. So we always have to constantly look and see what God's will is, what God's vision is for our church. That is so, so important. If you don't, discouragement will happen. I tell pastors, pastors, you're discouraged. Why? Why? Well, we're doing this, we're doing that. I read all these books on how to church plan, how to, how to run the church, and how to grow the church. Nothing's happening. Why have you checked out with God? Have you checked, out, have you checked with God? It is. What is, our, what is our mission statement? John, they, they basically put it up, up, up on the screen every day, every morning, Sunday morning. It comes from Where? comes from Matthew, the Great Commission. That's what God told me. I'm used to vision statements. For years, that's what I did as a pastor. Put together purpose statements. For what reason? For what end? To make it look good? To say that maybe you can put two sentences together? What is it? Discouragement comes when we are out of the will of God in basic everyday things. Our, our mission statement comes right from the word of God. God laid out on my heart very, very clearly, here's your mission statement for this church, the Great Commission. Read that from what? Matthew 
Come on, church. Okay. See, now, my, now I'm really discouraged because nobody remembers our, our, our mission statement. Remember Jesus, when he was ascending, he was talking, he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's it. There's not a, a big fancy, let's put it together, gang, and try to figure out, that's it. That's what we're called to do. Any church, that should be every church's mission statement, I believe, because we get right back to what does Jesus tell us to do? What does he want from us? If we do that, Though we will be imperfect, but if we seek to do that, then he will bless. He will bless us. This church is being blessed, not necessarily by numbers, but then once I say that, I go the other way. Yes, by numbers. Do you realize, do you realize today, as we have so many people gone, how many people do you think are in church, are in church right now as I speak? Jan counted them. She was out there doing the... Uh, so I get this from Jan. If she's wrong, if I'm wrong, you blame Jan. 43. Now, Katie and, and, and Kathy and Sue and others, remember back in the day? If we got 43, we were doing handstands. And that was on a good day, on a good Sunday. On a good Sunday here... Now, I'm just throwing out these numbers just to, you know, I'm just, because I'm going to build you guys up. On a good Sunday, we will have between 60 and 70 people. That is a big leap from where we were two or three years ago. A huge leap, not to mention our finances. Our finances have taken a huge leap. So what I'm saying, my friends, you have to look at your church in different ways, not just the numbers, it's the overall. This is a healthy church. Are we exactly what God wants us to be? Absolutely not. But we're on our way. The foundation is being built here. We are on our way. This church will be a... Well, no, this is just me. I'm, you know, some, you know, it's an amazing thing what happens when our worship team is up there. God so speaks to me. Sometimes I say, God, why don't you speak to me during the week more? You know, and, and then he was speaking to my heart. And he said to me, I'm just, now this is what God, I felt God gave me that nudge in my heart. Every one of these seats will be filled one day. Everyone. So how do I take that, Sue? Do I say, nah? Is this my own desire? I've, you know, I'm not perfect, but I've been around and been a, a, a Christian and a pastor a long time. When I know when God speaks to my heart, I know when it's coming, coming, it's coming from him. And so, see, we have a long way to go, amen? But we also know that God is doing something and he's using you, all of you. My goodness. You know, it's amazing. It, to me, it's very uplifting. I get very encouraged when I see people in church. I see my brothers and sisters every Sunday, they're here. If they're not, they're out of town or something like that. But when they're here, they're here. And, you know, if I, that makes me feel good, how do you think that makes God feel? He loves it. He loves it. So that's good. Now, I don't know where I'm at at all with this. 
So we're just going to go back. I figured, well, you don't hear about discouragement. I'm just going to keep rambling. And maybe, maybe, something, maybe something will hit. But all I can say about this is, is Nehemiah. Nehemiah knew his call. He knew the vision that God had for him without a doubt. And he did not hesitate. He was not discouraged. He did not hesitate. So we need to understand as Christians that, that when you feel discouraged, then look to your Lord. What has he called you to do? I do that all the time. Because I don't know about you, but I get beaten up by saying, he'll just try to hammer me every step of the way and say, well, what about this and what about that? You feel happy about this? Well, what about that? What's going on there? What are you doing about that? You know? You know, you know what's on my heart right now? It's just like you guys are ministering to the pastor. So this right now, you have to give me, give me some love, Okay. Now, this is where I'm at right now, and that is I'm saying, Lord, I see all these pieces coming together. I see them. I know that these are things you want us to do. I said, but I'm burdened with our youth. That's my next step. I'm burdened. God's laying something on my heart about our youth. I don't know what that looks like, but I know he's churning in within me. Something's going on, and I have to listen to that. Say, God, this is just the beginning stages, but I do know that that's going to have to be an, an area of ministry that we have to address if we're going to take the next step in this ministry here. We have to work on, on youth ministries here. Okay? That's all I can say about that because that's all I know. I'm taking this one ask at a time. So my point is we need to get into also, like Nehemiah, we need to get into prayer. That's, not, that's my second thought. That is get into prayer. Nehemiah 4 4 through 5 and 9. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults, there again, the Israelis are talking about their enemies that don't want to build this wall. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or plot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insights in the face of the builder. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. God's chosen people have always been plagued with enemies. In this case, it was Sanballat, Tobiah, and others had ridiculed and mocked the Jews. Does that sound familiar to you? This is some 4,000 years ago, and the Jews are being mocked, they're being ridiculed, etc. Has that ever happened before with the Jews, with Israel? We're seeing it today, 4,000 years later. People are mocking, they're ridiculing the Jews. My goodness, I'm not trying to get political on you, but stop and think about this. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm saying. Hamas... They launch, what, three, 4,000 rockets into Israel. What does Israel do? They retaliate, right? In turn, they send rockets the other way. What do we hear in the newspaper? We hear this by many politicians, not all, of course, but more and more politicians are down on Israel for doing this. This is horrible what they're doing. 
horrible what we're doing in Hamas. And I want to say, do people realize when, when these terrorist groups, when they do those kind of things, they know, they're smart enough to know that when Israel re- retaliates, where do they go? They go amongst the people. They go amongst the people. Their own people as their shield to protect them. We don't hear that. <coughs> now I'm ticked off. Now I'm, dis- I'm really discouraged now. That really, that really bothers me. And, I, and yet, you know, we see this. We see, we see this time and time and time again. Now, how did Nehemiah and the people respond? They prayed. And they prayed as they worked. I love that. They prayed as they worked. The next time you feel tired, frustrated, pray to your God. Ask him to give you a new perspective. And sort out your issues. When you discourage, ask him to sort out your issues. No matter what it is. I do that all the time. I do. I'll be honest with you. I, I get discouraged. I do. And sometimes when my discouragement gets a hold of me, I say, God, help me sort it out. Give me new perspective. Help me to see with, the, with your eyes. It's like walking with Jesus every... Did not Jesus say, Jeanette, in this world you'll have problems, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's all of us. We go through our stuff. But as Christians, we have this great privilege of knowing that we don't go it alone. We have Jesus to help us sort out our issues. And, you know, that to me is something we really, really need to focus on and understand. Number three, keep pressing on, Nehemiah 4, 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. They were working with all their heart. I love that. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back in time. It's summertime, Gwen, you know, everything is wonderful. You know, go back when you were maybe uh, junior in high school or something, uh, 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 in junior high, not high school, junior high, all of us. Go back to our junior high years, all right? Guys, remember, at least in my hometown, what we used to do is summertime, junior high, it was okay, we have nothing to do what? Play ball. Play ball. So what we would do in my community, a group of us would get together and say, okay, we need to spread out, go to our other friends, we need to get enough people to get a baseball game going. You know, so we hit the neighborhoods, hit the kids, and bring them out. Hey, make sure you bring your glove, your bat, and your ball. You know, this is all summertime stuff. We'd go up to the school and, and use one of the, um, you know, the, the baseball diamonds and, and get our ball game going. We would do that, had a ball, just getting you guys together. However, I don't know if this is about with you guys, but with me, we always had this one kid that really was the whiner. And he was the kid, he was the kid that when we were playing, if something went wrong, and you know, you called your own game. You know, you know, if you're out, you know, you're running, you have to call your own game. And so, so his name was Brian. I'm going to leave just that. His first name was Brian. And Brian, sooner or later in that game, he would start crying and want to go home. And he'd take his glove, 
And sometimes he was balling bad, but really bothered me with a glove because he was a left-handed and left-hander, and so am I. So I wanted to make sure that Brian was on the other team because I wanted to use his glove when I was out in the field. But Brian, Brian, that kid would just, I mean, say, oh, please, grow up. You know, he'd be whining, crying about a call against him or whatever. And sure enough, he'd be traipsing down that field. He'd be going up. We said, there, there goes Brian. You know, how many innings did it take this time? Three? Oh, this time he went to four. Good. And so, you know what that, that does to the game? Now I'm really, this should not bother me because it happened so many years ago. But I think we always had to, when Brian left, or there's another kind of semi-whiner we had, and when they left, that means it, it messed up the whole team concept. Now we had to figure out new rules because one team lost a player. So then we had to make up different rules to compensate for the whiner that left. My point is that I think from time to time, all of us have a little bit of Brian in us. When things don't go our way, we get discouraged and want to walk away. However, Nehemiah and friends were of one heart. The Bible says their hearts were in it. Their hearts were in what they were doing. They never gave up. They never quit. That's Christians. We never give up. We never quit. We keep hanging in there, staying in the game, because we know what we know what we know. Amen? That deserves it. We should never, ever quit. Don't quit. Don't quit on yourself. Don't quit on your church. Amen? I don't know, Becca, but I think this is really going great. All right, number, number four, look at the big picture, Nehemiah 4, 11 through 14. Also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put, them, and put an end to the, to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Verse 13, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest parts of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome and and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. The Jews knew and heard that their enemies were going to plot to kill them, right? And they became faint-hearted. But Nehemiah wanted, wanted them to hold on. He wanted them to hold on to their hope in God and not let their haters distract them from building the wall. That was his point. So what he, do, what he, what he did was he positioned the people, and we, as you know the rest of the story, he positioned them along the wall by family so they could see one family after another family after another family after another family. They could see how each section of the wall is being built. Nehemiah really was an organizational genius. So he said, 
basically, you know how it went. He said, I tell you what, Jason, your family, you're going to be in, you're going to have this section. This is, this is your neighborhood. So we're going to have your family, you're going to stand guard, and you're going to build this wall. Okay, we go over here, Ron, Susan, okay, you're the next family. This is going to be your section. You're going to stand guard with your family, and you're going to repair the wall. He did that one family after another, after another, after another. That's genius, how God used him. I, to me, that was just absolute genius. Now look at verse 14. I want to do the first, the first uh, phrase. After I looked things over, Nehemiah saw the big picture, the rebuilding of the wall, all coming together, all coming together. He wanted them to see all of them. You see, don't just look what's in front of you, but look. Look, this is the big vision. This is how we're going to do this. You need to see that vision. You need to see it and believe it and know that it is coming. That's what we need to do with us. Friends, we need to see the big picture. How do we do that? How do we overcome our discouragement? If you, if you don't have it today, you're going to get discouraged. You deal with your discouragement by working your faith. Hear that word. It's working your faith. How do you work? How does one work his or her faith? Well, in my world, you need to step back. When I'm discouraged or whatever, I'm trying to work my faith, I need to step back. Then, God, what is it here? What is it I'm missing? Why am I feeling this way? I need clarity. I need understanding. So I need to step back. I need to wait. I need to wait till God gives me clarity. Then once he gives me clarity, then I advance. Then I advance to seek his will and so that he will show me the big picture and give me hope and direction. See what I'm saying? It's very simple. It really is. If you're distracted and nervous and, you, and it's still bothering you, then you're not waiting. You're advancing. Wait on the Lord. Let him work through this process with you. It might be someone else. You might be in fear. Or you might be discouraged. And you're praying. Maybe God lays it on your heart that you need to do this first. And so you do it. See what I'm saying? This is so fundamental, and yet it is so, 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 so important. Guys, you can can the music if you want right now, please. That's Sue. Thanks, Sue. Sue, you don't have to can the music. You're doing good. Now I'm really discouraged because I blew that one. But see, you need to understand this. In, in, in all seriousness, you need to understand, I believe, I know some of you, I'm not saying that you don't, I'm not, I don't want to lecture you, but I don't want you to feel so discouraged when it comes I want to help you understand how you could overcome your own discouragement. It is so, so important. Last one, but not least. God will not let you down. This one will blow you out of your chair, okay? So be prepared. Now, Susan, I set myself up. If I bomb, then, then I've led myself... Anyway, but I don't, I'm confident this is not. Now, I'm going back to Nehemiah 4.14 again. 
Now he said, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the Moabites, the fishers and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sisters, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When your giant of discouragement seems insurmountable, you need and you become faint of heart like Nehemiah. Focus on the great and awesome promises that God has for you. Focus on those promises. When you are discouraged and down, sit down with a good book and dig into its life-transforming passages. Every time. My wife is always in the good book. And being around me, she's got a lot to be discouraged about. So she does a lot of praying, Jeanette, in the, in the Bible. I know, it's a bummer, but it's, it's there. But here's a great passage that I want to leave you with. And it's really been very, very helpful to me. And it comes from Second Chronicles 2015. And I'm sure that you've heard of this passage, you know, many times. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. As Israel's arch enemies, the Moabites and the Amorites, bore down on them, King Jehoshaphat put his trust in the Lord, and God gave them victory. Remember how he gave them victory? In that story, they, the Judah, Judah, they didn't have to lift a finger. God says, I'm going to give you victory. The victory is going to be yours. They didn't lift one finger. Their enemies, they basically killed each other. They turned on each other. That's what God does. But you know something? Sometimes all of us, I do this too. We say, you know what? That sounds so easy. It's easier said than done. It's easier to throw out. A, a story in the Bible and say, okay, now you follow that. You say, oh, I don't think I can do that. That was good for them, but I don't think, I don't think that's going to work for me. Now let me ask you something. I know you're not discouraged today, but I do know that you felt some grave discouragement. Maybe there have been periods in your life when you felt like just throwing in the towel, saying nothing's going to work out, nothing does work out for me. I'm flat out discouraged. We have all been there. I remember when I was really mega discouraged, I was at the hospital with my daughter, and I was there for, like for, for hours and hours, and the news wasn't very good. I drove there myself. Jan was still there at the hospital. I had to go home and be with the other kids. And I remember driving that car from Children's Hospital in Chicago out to St. Charles. And I remember, at one point, I got in the car, and with tears in my eyes, I was so frustrated and so discouraged. I said, God, I need a sign. And I wasn't looking for a sign of a healing for her. I said, I just need a sign that you are in this. 
that you are in this, what's going on. I just need that sign. And lo and behold, my brothers and my sisters, as I'm driving on that expressway, I saw this gigantic rainbow. And God placed in my heart Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Remember the rainbow, the covenant? And that rainbow God placed in my heart that I'll never leave you. I'm always with you. No matter what, I'm always with you. I felt in that moment, in that time, I felt the presence of God. And he took my burden and he lightened my load with one promise. Do not be afraid or discouraged. It's my battle. Hear what I said? It's my battle. Whatever you are battling today or whatever you might be battling, remember that. It's God's battle to win. That's what he's telling Jehoshaphat. It is my battle to win. You asked me to help you. Now give me that battle because it's mine. And I'll take care of it. You see what I'm saying? That in our fear and our discouragement, give that battle to your Lord. It's his to win. You know, when darkness and hopelessness, you know, just overwhelms us. And we are just ready just to give up and say, I don't want to hear anything more about God in this or not. When you reach that point, when you're so low in your life, when you're so confused and you don't know which way to turn, remember this. As I close, your despair cannot touch the power of Jesus' love and care for you. We're talking about battles, aren't we? We're going to be talking about battling our giants the next few Sundays. I'm saying to you today, trials, let Jesus Christ fight your battle. Give it to him. He'll fight it for you. Test me in this. I'm not saying that Jesus, test me in this. And you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who have gone through your battle and you, and you turn to your Lord, when, you know what I'm saying. Test him. You've gone through your battles. I've gone through mine. And we're going to continue with our battles. Don't leave Jesus out. Let him win your battle. Let him. Let him. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you so much, Lord.